It was one thing when he was a reality TV personality. But now that he's the presumptive nominee, we have to take him seriously? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Don't take the bait. I got the feeling that something right. Don't take it. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. It's too late. They took the bait. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oh, well. We'll fix it. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM in Queso, Queso in Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGR and 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, streaming coast to coast and around the globe, as ever, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and blanketing planet Earth unapologetically five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for what will be another uh, thrilling, action-packed adventure, whether we like it or not. Voters are going to the polls today. Yes, uh, it is the uh, last, thankfully, the last presidential primary of the 2016 presidential election cycle. Uh, Desi Doyen, it seems like it just started yesterday, doesn't it? No, it feels like it started about 15 years ago. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, so this is uh, on Tuesday. It will be the uh, the last presidential primary. Democrats are voting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. We will have the full results tomorrow. That will be the last of the presidential Primaries. There are still a bunch of uh, uh, congressional and state and so forth uh, primaries in the uh, weeks and months ahead. So don't worry. There'll be plenty to talk about. Uh, so we will have full results on the, the D.C. presidential primary tomorrow. In the meantime, one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders noted uh, last week that he wanted to stay in the race through the fr uh, final presidential primary of the season in Washington, D.C., is to offer support for the D.C. statehood movement. Yes, that's right. In case you're not paying attention, Washington, D.C. is still not a state. Its citizens still have no actual voice in presidential elections or any real representation in Congress. Uh, and Congress itself must approve just about everything that the city of Washington, D.C. does before it can do it. Uh, how's that for democracy? How's that for taxation without representation? We'll speak with Anise Jenkins in a little bit, one of the leaders in the free D.C. statehood movement, uh, about that still rather remarkable way in which this nation deals with its own national capital and the residents, the citizens 
therein uh, who are pretty much told to go to hell when it comes to uh, voting and participating in democracy. We'll explain shortly. Also today, if we can get to it, some interesting poll numbers now coming in. I had hoped to cover them yesterday. But obviously, uh, Orlando, the massacre there took uh, took precedence. Uh, so we will see how much uh, we have time to uh, to catch up with today as we go forward. Uh, but first, some breaking news. ISIS has struck again. Police arrested a government hating West Virginia man who admitted to killing three neighbors Wait a minute, this doesn't sound like ISIS. Morgan County Sheriff's deputies responded to a shooting reported on Monday afternoon near a timber farm in Great Cacapon, where they, if, uh, pardon me if I pronounce that wrong, where they found three men shot to death. Investigators identified 32-year-old Eric Shute. Eric Shute, that doesn't sound like a Muslim name. I don't understand. Uh, Eric Shute, he describes himself as a sovereign citizen. He was arrested as the suspected gunman, and uh, he was arrested in Chester County, Pennsylvania, shortly after midnight Tuesday after an eight-hour manhunt. Huh. Sovereign citizens are a loosely organized movement of tax protesters and anti-government activists who believe most government agencies act illegally and have been identified by law enforcement as the top domestic terrorist threat. Wait a minute. I thought ISIS... I thought uh, radical Islamic terrorism was the top domestic terrorist threat. I don't understand. How is somebody getting killed uh, with an AR-15 style weapon uh, if, if it's not ISIS doing it? What? That makes no sense. Uh, Eric Shute admitted to shooting the men. He says they were drug addicts in a Facebook posting made after the slaying. He claims this was self-defense. But uh, Sheriff Vince Shambaugh said that all three victims were ambushed and fatally shot with an AR-15 rifle while clearing wood and debris from a road near Shute's property. He took cover behind a tree and shot these people ambush style, according to the sheriff. Now, of course, uh, had he said, uh, praise Allah and shot these three people uh, ambush style from behind a tree, why it would be across every single news outlet today, tomorrow, and for the rest of the week, I suspect... But no, this was just the top domestic terrorist threat, according to law enforcement, a sovereign citizen guy who was taking pot shots with an AR-15 from behind a tree at his neighbors, killing three of them. The sheriff says that uh, Eric Shute was a doomsday prepper who was stockpiling weapons, ammo and other supplies ahead of the end times, according to Shambaugh said the suspect was trying to recruit others to join him. Gosh, isn't that what they say that, uh, that uh, ISIS does? Shute told investigators and others that he set up Claymore mines and other booby traps in bunkers on his property. So he's using an AR-15. He's setting up mines, booby traps. Gosh, that's great that mines are available for regular citizens to just buy. Yes, well, I, I don't know if he bought them, if he made them, but uh, yeah, sounds kind of dangerous to me. Sounds like a threat to the American way of life to me. A New Jersey grand uh, grand jury in, indicted this guy back in 2011 on charges of attacking a police officer and resisting arrest. Well, that sounds like ISIS, too. Shute told reporters back in 2009 when he had hung an American flag upside down that he was upset with taxes, the Federal Reserve, and President Barack Obama's health care law. 
So uh, there you go. Another right winger with an AR-15 shooting people. But we're not supposed to be worried about that because he doesn't have an Islamic name because it's not a real threat. It's only just one guy committing this uh, mass shooting uh, as opposed to one guy who happens to be Muslim committing this mass shooting. Uh, one guy, by the way, who you know had been tracked for years by the FBI and was still allowed to walk into a gun shop and, uh, and buy an AR-15. Uh, pretty much no questions asked. And I've, you know, I've heard uh, today and over the past 24 hours from a lot of people, including from Donald Trump, that, oh, he was he worked as in security. So that's why he was able to buy these guns. No, he was able to buy these guns because he lived in Florida and he walked into a gun shop and bought them. So, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people sort of taking this bait now, sort of taking this uh, this ISIS bait uh, f- you know, falling for this terrorist threat, this Middle Eastern terrorist threat, because apparently nobody else is a terror threat. Never mind what law enforcement says. Uh, the only terror threat uh, comes from the Middle East. And by the way, they don't even necessarily come from the Middle East. Maybe they come from New York, as uh, as as this guy did uh, the shooter in Orlando. Anyway, um Democrats are taking the bait anyway, it seems. Uh, Both uh, Barack Obama and uh, Hillary Clinton today responded to Donald Trump and his claims about uh, the fact that Obama won't use the word radical Islam or whatever that nonsense is. Here's a bit of uh, uh, Barack Obama responding, taking the bait. (laughs) The headline of the story, if we follow Trump's lead on Muslims, the terrorists will have won. Well, I. He's taking the lead, and I would argue the terrorists have won. Here's Barack Obama. What exactly would using this label accomplish? What exactly would it change? Would it make ISIL less committed to trying to kill Americans? Would it bring in more allies? Is there a military strategy that is served by this? The answer is none of the above. So there's no magic to the phrase radical Islam. It's a political talking point. It's not a strategy. And the reason I am careful about how I describe this threat has nothing to do with political correctness and everything to do with actually defeating extremism. Defeating extremism, that was uh, Barack Obama on uh, Tuesday in a public address from the Treasury Department about fighting about the fight against the Islamic State and the deadly shooting in Orlando, Florida. Uh, And he let loose on Donald Trump and Republicans for constantly criticizing his refusal to use their pet phrase. Radical Islam singled out Trump's recent rhetoric about Muslim Muslims and terrorism as especially dangerous. Uh, And uh, he went after those talking points directly, which is, I guess, all well and good. But as they say in the airplane movie, uh, movie, uh, that's just what they're expecting us to do. And it is because if they can change the conversation to all of this nonsense about radical Islam and this and that instead of uh, what actually ends up killing Americans by the scores, by the hundreds, by the thousands which is the free availability of weapons of mass destruction in this country. If they can change that so that we can talk about terror and everything else, 
Well, then, in fact, I would argue, yes, the terrorists have won. So I'm going to uh, try to keep that from happening, at least uh, in, in my coverage here for a bit today. Uh, much more important than falling for the right wing talking points uh, when it comes to Donald Trump is uh, is looking at the way that he is running his campaign when it comes to the media and how he has been penning the media, putting the members of the credentialed media into a pen, not allowing them to leave during his uh, rallies, uh, you know, to talk to anybody. And he is blocking them entirely from receiving credentials. And now Donald Trump, the presumptive nominee for president of the United States on the Republican side, has now said that Washington Post will not will no longer be credentialed to cover his events uh, during a morning news victory uh, lap, as Salon described it, uh, following the worst mass shooting in recent U.S. history. Donald Trump suggested to multiple news programs on Monday that that President Obama allowed the murderous rampage in Orlando, Florida, to take place. Trump said uh, to a number of people, uh, a number of different media outlets, he said, uh, Obama doesn't get it or he gets it uh, better than anybody understands it, implying that the president of the United States secretly sympathizes with ISIS terrorists. The Washington Post had a headline on Monday that uh, that spelled that out, said Trump suggests President Obama was involved with the mass shooting in Orlando. And late on Monday, Donald Trump then announced that he was adding the Washington Post to his list of media outlets who have been banned from his campaign, including Politico, Huffington Post, The Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, uh, Mother Jones, and now Washington Post. Trump tweeted on Monday, I'm no fan of President Obama, but to show you how dishonest the phony Washington Post is, they wrote, Donald Trump suggests President Obama was involved with Orlando shooting as their headline. Sad, said Donald Trump. He went on to tweet, based on the incredibly inaccurate coverage and reporting of the record-setting Trump, uh, 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 reporting of the record-setting Trump campaign, we are hereby revoking the press credentials of the phony and dishonest Washington Post. He uh, uh, went on in a statement to say that the Washington Post is being used by the owners of Amazon as their political lobbyists so that they don't have to pay taxes and don't get sued for monopolistic tendencies that have led to the destruction of department stores and the retail industry. Uh, and they put the uh, uh, need for clicks above journalistic integrity. Now, I, you know, I don't know about uh, about that claim that he's making, but he tends to do this. He shoots from the hip and then the next day he comes up with justification for it when he called the the judge overseas seeing his Trump University fraud case, uh, a Mexican. And then the next day he said, well, he's not Mexican per se. He was born in these United States, but his parents are Mexican. Oh, and he uh, is involved in some uh, legal group that is some in some fashion Hispanic and therefore they're Mexican, whatever. I mean, this is what he does. He backwards engineers what he does. But he has said he will change the libel laws as president of the United States. He will make it easier to sue the media when they say something they don't like, and he is disallowing the major media, political, uh, Politico, Huffington Post, Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, Mother Jones, and now Washington Post from having press credentials to his events. So what did he actually say? Well, he said uh, uh, a few more things uh, on all of this that gives you some idea. Here is uh, Donald Trump on the Howie Carr Show 
I think this is uh, today. Uh, or, or might have been Monday, uh, saying this same thing about uh, about Obama and about uh, whether or not uh, he was somehow involved, who knows, in what went on in Orlando. You said this of Obama, quote, he doesn't get it or he gets it better than anyone understands. It's one or the other and either one is unacceptable. There's something go- dot, dot, dot. There's something going on. What, what did you mean by that? Well, you know, let people figure that out for themselves, Howie. Because to be honest with you, there certainly doesn't seem to be a lot of anger or passion when he, you know, when we want to demand retribution for what happened over the weekend. There is certainly not a lot of passion. There is certainly not a lot of anger. Mm. So, you know, I'll let that, uh, we'll let people figure it out. Yeah, let them figure it out. What could he possibly be trying to say? Obama done. He's not very angry. He's he's not very angry. He he must uh, he must be happy about what happened in Orlando. He must be in on it. That was Donald Trump on the Howie Carr show, um, saying what he had said all day, and that what eventually got Washington Post uh, to uh, lose their press credentials to cover Donald Trump events. But again. I don't want to get distracted uh, uh, by these shiny objects that Donald Trump keeps putting out there. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's keep our eyes on things that actually matter, that we can actually change in this country, that we can actually do something about. And to that end, we'll stick with Donald Trump here on that Howie Carr show. Here's what he said next. It's a very uh, sad situation when we have the kind of a tragedy that we had. And we have a president that gave a press conference and he talks about gun control when this is a licensed person who could have had a a gun anyway. Yeah, well, that, again, as I said earlier, is not true. Uh, Him being licensed, whatever that means, has nothing to do with the fact that he was able to walk into a gun shop in Florida and uh, and buy a a semi-automatic assault style weapon. uh, Two of them, actually, a rifle and a a semi-automatic handgun. Uh, He was not allowed to do that because he worked in security, because he had some license that Donald Trump is talking about. Donald Trump is basically making stuff up. Anybody could have done that. Apparently, even someone on uh, the terrorist watch list, because the National Rifle Association, as I ranted for an hour on yesterday's program, has worked for years years and spent millions of dollars buying off Republican politicians to make sure that even people who have uh, been interviewed by the FBI, who have expressed sympathies for uh, for ISIS, as this guy did, as the killer down in Orlando, Florida did, that even someone like that who cannot fly on a plane can still walk in to a gun shop and buy a weapon of mass destruction the way this guy did in Florida. So don't listen to Donald Trump's lies, but I need to point them out. Uh, We're going to continue now with uh, Trump on the Howie Carr Show. Here's what he said next. And basically he wants to take the guns away from people so that only the bad guys. I mean, one of the many problems with the gun control is that the bad guys will have the guns. The good guys won't. They'll turn in because they're law abiding, right? So they turn in their guns if you had gun control, but the bad guys aren't turning in any guns that I can tell you. Uh, Mr. Trump, and, uh, I've always the wondered. World, the world would be a mu- the world would be a much different place. Yeah, the world would be a much different place because it would be an imaginary world where somebody uh, is trying to take away anybody's guns. Obviously, that's not what's happened here. That's not what's been proposed by really any Democrats when it comes to uh, when it comes to gun safety regulations. 
But Donald Trump just lied uh, to people. The uh, presumptive nominee for president just lied about it on the Howie Carr show, and Howie Carr did not bother to uh, to rebut him on that false point about taking away people's guns. Here's more from Trump. I mean, it's too bad that some of the uh, young people that were killed over the weekend weren't didn't have guns, you know, uh, attached to their hip. Uh, frankly, and you know, where bullets could have flown in the opposite direction, Howie. It would have been a much different deal. I mean, there, it sounded like there were no guns. They had a security guard. Other than that, uh, there were no guns in the room. Had people been able to fire back, it would have been a much different outcome. Yeah, it would have been a much uh, different outcome. Instead of 100 people being shot, 49 of them killed, uh, we could have had two or 300 of them shot and killed. Because, you know, when it comes to me, when I go to a dark, crowded nightclub with people dancing shoulder to shoulder for a special event, uh, boy, nothing nothing do I hope for more than they all have guns in their sides, uh, in their holster, and they can pull them out and start shooting in the darkness, in the noise at any uh, particular target. Are you kidding me, Donald Trump? Especially after they've been drinking. Oh, yeah, and that too. Jesus. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the old, uh, bad guy with a gun, good guy with a gun. And I know, uh, maybe I, I, I missed it, uh, Des, I don't, I don't think we cut it out there, but he was talking about, uh, there was a good guy with a gun, uh, a cop or a security guard actually confronted the shooter and that cop got shot himself. Yes. So there was a good guy with the gun, but I guess, uh, maybe we need 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 people to have guns in order to take on the AR-15 that this guy was able to walk in uh, to the club with in Orlando and uh, gun down more than 100 people. And, of course, none of it really has to do anything with ISIS. Well, it has to do with ISIS in that that was uh, this guy's uh, claim. He claims that this was his motivation. But going through, you know, all of these mass shootings, and we talked about it yesterday on the on the program, the uh, Canadian journalist who pointed out that Canada has had eight mass shootings in 20 years. The U.S. has had seven since last Monday. The other journalist uh, who had noted that uh, after Sandy Hook, we said never again. And then we let 998 mass shootings happen. I don't know if that includes the one in West Virginia that we reported on at the top of this show. Nonetheless, uh, the shootings continue. And they don't all have to do with ISIS. As a matter of fact, almost none of them have to do with ISIS. April 2, 2012, seven people killed and three wounded when a 43-year-old former student opened fire at a university in Oakland, California. July 20, 2012, a 27-year-old man shot 12 people, injured 70 in Aurora, Colorado, in the movie theater. In uh, August 5, 2012, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, a 40-year-old gunman killed six worshipers at a Sikh temple before killing himself. In Minnesota, on September 27, uh, 2012, uh, in Minnesota's deadliest workplace rampage, a man who had just been fired pulled a gun and fatally shot six people, including the company's founder. He also wounded two others at Accent Signage Systems in Minneapolis before taking his own life. December 14, 2012, in Newtown, Connecticut, an armed 20-year-old entered Sandy Hook Elementary School and used a semi-automatic rifle to kill 26 people, including 21st graders and six adult school staff members. July 26, 2013, a 42-year-old man went on a shooting rampage at Hialeah, Florida, apartment uh, in his Hialeah, Florida apartment building, gunning down six people before officers fatally shot him. 
September 16, 2013, a mentally disturbed civilian contractor shot 12 people to death at the Washington Navy Yard. I'm not even up to 2014 yet. I could go on and on through 2014, through 2015, through 2016. Oh, look, 2015. There we go. ISIS, a 28-year-old man and 27-year-old woman sympathetic to, uh, to the Islamic State opened fire in San Bernardino, killing 14 people and wounding 20 more. There's one. All of these others. They had nothing to do with ISIS. They had everything to do with the fact that these people can buy weapons of mass destruction and kill at will. And we do nothing about it time and time again. So don't get distracted, President Obama. Don't get distracted, candidate Clinton. Keep your eyes on the prize. I was happy to see that the Democrats uh, in Congress on Monday did not get distracted. A day after the mass shooting in Orlando, Democratic lawmakers erupted on the House floor with loud criticism of House Speaker Paul Ryan and other Republicans for leaving the nation's gun laws untouched. Democrats yelled, where's the bill? And no leadership Monday evening after Ryan held a moment of silence for 49 people killed at the uh, Orlando nightclub on Sunday. The disruption came after South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn, the number three Democrat in the House, attempted to ask Ryan on the floor when bills curbing gun use would be considered. Before Clyburn could even finish, Ryan ruled his question out of order, directed the House to move on to the next vote. A handful of Democrats left the House floor during the moment of silence, including Connecticut Congressman Jim Himes, who had said earlier on Monday in an interview that he's done with the moments uh, typically held on the House floor after mass shootings, calling them, quote, obnoxious expressions of smug incompetence and the perfect metaphor for congressional inaction on guns. Leaving the House chamber, uh, Paul Ryan declined to comment on the exchange with uh, Himes and uh, with Clyburn. Ryan's spokeswoman, Ashley Strong, tweeted that Democrats were politicizing the moment of silence and called that disheartening. Himes is not the first Democrat to protest the ritual. When a moment was held to honor victims of a deadly shooting rampage in San Bernardino, California in December, several Democrats criticized it. Congresswoman Robin Kelly of Illinois at the time said we need to stand up, speak up and take actions rather than another moment of silence. It is deafening and it is killing us. House majority uh, House minority leader Nancy Pelosi told reporters uh, off the House floor afterwards. The fact is that a moment of silence is an act of respect. We support that, but it is not a license to do nothing. Members have just had enough of having one minute, a moment of silence on the floor and then taking no action. So good, good Democrats, don't let up, don't let them uh, uh, distract you with nonsense, don't let them uh, hold a moment of silence and move on, get something done, good luck with that. All right, we're going to get distracted, take a break, come back, talk about D.C. statehood and uh, much more, as I said, maybe some uh, maybe some polls and some other news uh, coming out of Orlando straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, this is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. 
Right, right. You're bloody well right. You got a bloody right to say. You'd think. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. Actually, they got no rights at all, pretty much, in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week, uh, following the primaries in California, New Jersey, and elsewhere, Bernie Sanders met with Barack Obama at the White House to discuss how the Democratic Party can unify moving forward to take on Donald Trump. Uh, During Bernie Sanders' remarks after the meeting, he noted his intention to stay in the race until the final primary in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday and even beyond that through the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia in late July. Among the reasons that Sanders stated for staying in the race through the D.C. primary was uh, because of his support for the movement calling for congressional representation and full statehood for Washington, D.C., whose residents, incredibly enough, currently have no representation or vote in Congress, nor a vote in the Electoral College election for President of the United States. I will, of course, be competing in the D.C. primary, which will be held uh, next Tuesday. This is the last primary of the Democratic nominating process. The major point that I will be making to the citizens of the District of Columbia is that I am strongly in favor of D.C. statehood. The state of Vermont, which I represent, has about the same number of residents that Washington, D.C. has, except we have two United States Senator and one congressman with full rights, while D.C. does not. That does not make any sense. So how can it be that citizens of Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, still have absolutely no real representation in Congress or in presidential elections? Here to discuss this continuing oddity, including taxation without representation in our nation's capital itself, is Anise Jenkins. She's with the Stand Up for Democracy in D.C. Coalition, also known as Free the Free D.C. Movement. Anise Jenkins, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you so much, Brad. I'm very, very happy to be here and very happy that you played that excerpt from Bernie Sanders' statement. It really raised our level and our profile. And as well it should, uh, I know also John Oliver on HBO did a fantastic piece on uh, D.C. statehood a few weeks back. It seems like it's getting more and more attention. But before we talk about where we go from here, Anise, how did we get to this point? Historically, why do D.C. citizens have no say in our democratic process? Well, if you really think about it, this was uh, 1801 when the country first started. Mm -hmm. And if you can recall, I'm an African-American woman, Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have had too much to say about anything that was going on at that time. Uh, We had uh, African-American slaves. We had women who had no rights. There were a lot of inequalities, people who didn't have property. Uh, But and that has ended, thank goodness, after struggle and fight and a civil war. And those things have ended, that restriction. However, D.C. is still, because of Article 1, Section 8, 
paragraph 17 of the Constitution, D.C. is still back in political slavery. Uh, Article 1, Section 8, paragraph 17 says that the Congress can do and has whatsoever to Washington, D.C. It has total control. It can change our local legislation. Right now, it controls our local budget. Uh, we cannot elect or appoint our own local uh, judges. Mm. Uh, we are basically uh, have no rights. We're not American citizens. And this comes from the Constitution, and this comes from the situation in 1801, and we're still back at that time uh, for D.C. residents. Amazing. So D.C., uh, actually, you, you guys have a mayor, you have a city council and so forth, but everything that the uh, that the mayor and the city council uh, does, essentially, needs to be approved first by the U.S. Congress, by a dysfunctional U.S. Congress, I should add. That's right. But by the That's U.S. Right. Congress, including all of its laws and, and, and all of its uh, budgets and so forth, have to be approved first? That, that's correct. Uh our budget, uh, that has changed slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not, and two years ago, we voted for budget autonomy. At one time, our budget, which is made up of our own local taxes, 75% of it comes right out of our pocket. I don't want anybody out there to think that the federal government is subsidizing D.C. Actually, we pay the highest federal taxes per person, mm. so we're probably subsidizing the federal government. But they had decided by the Constitution that they wanted to control every financial thing in D.C. So when our local elected council passed the local budget, it went to the Congress for a 30-day layover, which means at that time, in those 30 days, the Congress could ignore it, and we would have to wait for our money, or the Congress would mess with it, which they quite often did, and uh, we just had to accept what they said they were going to do. Well, two years ago, 82% of D.C. residents voted for budget autonomy, which meant that the local funds, which I said is up to about 75%, mm-hmm. the local funds in the D.C. budget were not required for that 30-day layover at Congress. However, Mark Meadows of North Carolina, a Republican Tea Party member, mm-hmm just recently, less than a month ago, decided that he didn't like that. And he said, I think if you are going to control your local budget and your local funds, I'm going, and you don't send that budget up to the Congress as you are instructed to do, that we will come and perhaps arrest your mayor and arrest your local city council for not transferring that stipulation to us. So we're subject to oppression, we're subject to insanity, because we've had (laughs) 10 balanced local budgets. No, I think it's been almost 20 years of balanced local budgets in D.C. So we're having a Congress that is having oversight on a uh, jurisdiction that is doing a whole lot better than the United States Congress is. But just because, just because they can, They decide if we pass 
a medical marijuana bill or mm-hmm. if we decide that we want gun control or whatever they want to do, whatever they're running on back at home so that they can get the attention of their own constituents that they treat much better than the residents of the nation's capital, mm-hmm. they're just going to hit us or slap us or decide, you know, uh, we're just going to reject what you said. We're just going to just declare uh, that this is the kingdom and uh, we're going to be the kings. We're going to be the plantation masses. And, and so this has been going on for a long long time. And we're tired of it. We want to be a state. And it has been going on for a long time. I mean, you're talking about people who are uh, controlling what it is that you guys do or decide to do or vote to do in Washington, D.C. People who come from, uh, you know, Republicans from from Utah and from Kansas and sort of using D.C. as, uh, you know, as as a bargaining chip in uh, various procedures in the, uh, as I say, broken U.S. uh, U.S. Congress. Now, the Democratic Party once uh, supported D.C. statehood in its party's platform. But as I understand, that was removed about a decade ago from the Democratic Party platform. Is that true? And if so, why? What what happened there? That's correct. Um, It was in the Democratic Party platform. D.C. deserves to have it in the Democratic Party platform. D.C. is overwhelmingly Democrat, which at times causes us trouble, of course, with the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. But uh, we voted for President uh, Barack Obama. I think we were like in the 90 percentile range, Mm -hmm. uh, both terms. Uh, But uh, I really can't say why they took it out. It was probably a political trade of some kind, which we're subject to. But it was taken out of the platform. And one goal that we have uh, this uh, uh, convention is to take D.C. residents up to Philly. It's not that far. It's only like a couple of hours ride mm-hmm. on the bus. And to advocate that this be put back on the Democratic platform. We've actually had times when we had the Senate, the House, and the presidency occupied by Democrats, and we still did not get a real push from either House or from the president for statehood. And uh, I, it just it's just puzzles me why. I, I think sometimes they think we are a bargaining Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tool for certain things that they want to accomplish, but it was really good to see that a really dynamic uh, candidate like Bernie Sanders, and also I must say, um, uh, uh, Secretary Clinton also expressed her support for statehood for the District of Columbia. But expressing that support has disillusioned us quite often because once that person goes into office, we kind of slide down uh, on the priority scale. Apparently, you know what I mean. I, no, I do know what you mean. And, and I want to add, by the way, when you say that uh, D.C. Uh, supported, overwhelmingly voted for uh, Barack Obama, um, that was actually a meaningless vote. In other words, you guys vote. It's it's really a, a beauty contest, right? There's no uh, electoral votes. It's just sort of expressing how you feel. But ultimately, it actually doesn't mean anything in the uh, in the election itself. Correct. Well, it's that's basically correct. Um, at now, one time, DC DC could not vote for president until there was the uh, 23rd Amendment to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And that was in ni- that passed in 19, 
what was it, 1961, and the first president that we could vote for in the nation's capital now was Lyndon Johnson. Before that, we had no vote for the president was right there down the street living yeah. in the White House. Which is which is um, just amazing when, when people hear about it. It's kind of mind-blowing. But what I mean to say is when it didn't mean anything, it's important to get out and vote and express your opinion. But ultimately, there are no electoral votes for Washington, D.C., right? No, we actually do have three electoral votes. Oh. Uh, it, it can, yes, we do. Oh, you do? We have okay. three electoral votes, yes. Uh, the problem is that if there were a tie, it's not supposed to count. And oh, according see. to the deal that we made or whatever, uh, it cannot increase. Those electoral votes cannot increase. Those electoral votes cannot increase according to our population. So if D.C. were to, right now we're 700,000 in population or close to it. If we were to gain, uh, we're gaining like 1,000 people per month. Uh If we were to go up to 800,000, 900,000, a million, we would still be stuck with three electoral votes that cannot be counted if there are was a tie on, in the on, presidential election. Unlike states. So you're right, it's a beauty contest. Well, right. I was going to say, unlike states, which get additional electoral votes, but in your case, okay, you get electoral votes, but I guess we should put that in quotes. You get, quote, electoral right. votes that uh, that they mean something as long as they don't actually mean something, as long as there isn't That's actually right. a tie yes. and a fight over those votes. Uh, yes. What has uh, and I want to get back to your thoughts on why you think the Democratic Party has not taken action, even when they control both houses of Congress and the White House. But but what is Donald Trump's position on D.C. statehood? Has he come out one way or another on on this matter? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny uh, when some I think it was brought up on Meet the Press. Somebody and you know how he does his he doesn't even think he has to come into the studio. He just calls up. Right. And, you know, they ask him questions. He gets all this free publicity. But uh, not that, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization. Mm-hmm. So there you go. But um, he was asked on Meet the Press by uh, whoever was hosting at that time, mm-hmm. did he support D.C. statehood? And he said, oh, it sounds good to me. If it's good for the people of D.C., I think I would go for it. But I think somebody pulled his coattail and said what it actually was. I don't think he knew. Uh, he was just trying to sound agreeable for a change, and he's backed off of it. Uh, he is totally backed off of it. And um, his position now, I think he doesn't have a position, but so, he, he's not supporting He it. was in favor of it no. when he had no idea what they were talking <laughs> about when they asked him about it. Right. Uh, now, you said uh, that uh, President Obama actually told you personally back in 2008, I don't know if that was before or after he was elected, but that he favored statehood. Uh, has, right. has, has he changed his position since, or has he just not done anything to advocate for it in, in the eight years now that he's been in office? Uh, you know, it's been a huge disappointment. We even had new groups in D.C. form for statehood when he was elected. I uh, talked to President Obama face-to-face when the day that uh, uh, Senator Edward Kennedy, who has now passed, endorsed him, and Caroline Kennedy was there, and it was a big rally mm-hmm. at the American University. And I got to talk to Senator Kennedy and uh, President, well, 
future President Obama as they were walking by, and I had my big statehood sign. And uh, Senator Kennedy introduced our first statehood bill in the Senate in the in the eighties. Uh huh. So uh, he was extremely excited to see my sign, and uh-huh. he just wanted to talk. And I turned around and I looked at uh, Senator Obama, and he said, "Yes, I support D.C. statehood fully." I was excited. I was just thrilled, and I, I so thrilled. I didn't get a photo. I didn't get a, <laughs> uh, an autograph like most people were doing. Right. But I, I, I got this confirmed because as he kept walking, uh, we had two of our uh, statehood senators who have no vote in the Senate, so but they're called United States senators, confirmed that he was talking about statehood when he reached them at the end of the line. Uh, he hasn't done, he has not done anything. Uh, the only time he really talked about it, he was at a school in D.C., and a student asked him about statehood, mm-hmm. and he made his most extensive statement in support of statehood at that school. We really, really lobbied him to talk about it in his last State of the Union address. I mean, we sent emails, texted, we tweeted, yeah. we did everything you can. Nothing. There was nothing, and I don't understand it. I don't I do not. Well, I don't I either, Anise uh, Jenkins, and that's what I wanted to ask. What's what's the holdup? Why does this seem, setting aside whatever uh, President Obama's uh, reasonings might be, uh, what, what is the holdup? Why is this so politically difficult? I mean, I understand why Republicans don't want it. Uh, it'll be, you know, more Democratic voters, more Democratic electoral votes, real ones, etc. cetera. Uh, but why has this been such an issue? Why is this so difficult for, uh, for Democrats? Democrats in general. I mean, it seems so American. It seems so easy to go out and sell. It seems so easy that, you know, even Donald Trump hears about it and and (laughs) thinks it's a good idea. So what what is the the, the political difficulty here? Well, initially, our first uh, delegate, and I was told along with uh, Senator Kennedy, gave the four twos. Now, this would seem to apply to Republicans, but I'm just going to say it like they said it. Mm -hmm. D.C. was too black. D.C. was too progressive, or they called it liberal at that time. We were too urban, and we were too Democrat. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just seen as a hot potato, a hot political potato that you can use to your advantage when you want to, but when you want to leave it alone and just put it on the back burner, that's what you do. Uh, that's the only basic thing I could think why a Democrat would not support it. It's just low on the totem pole. So we, and, and the United States is the only country in the world that has a democratic form of government where its residents and its capital have no vote or no local autonomy. Mm. The only one in the world. It's an international disgrace. We've had people go to the United Nations uh, in Geneva and advocate for statehood at their Human Rights Commission. And the, the, the Human Rights Commission has condemned the United States. We've had people in China make jokes about the United States because of the fact that its capital city residents have no democracy. It's an international disgrace, but it is not moving forward. And I think one reason is people come to D.C. We talk, we go in the mall, we let them know. We even had a... Um, 
a poll that we took while with visitors from mm-hmm. the United States who were here visiting uh, on the 4th of July. We could point at the Capitol and say, we don't have a vote in that building. They were extremely supportive. We got like almost, I think, 80% of the people said, that's crazy. You know, we just didn't know about it. What's the process? We just didn't know. What's the process now to move uh, forward, Anise Jenkins? Okay. Uh, is this a change to the uh, to the U.S. Constitution? Does it? Do we have to have a, a constitutional no. change? How, how no. do we move forward, and how can uh, folks support that effort, Anise? Okay. We do need national support. What we would have to do is to have a bill, which we have two bills now, one in the House and one in the Senate, for the admission of D.C. as the 51st state. Uh, we have those bills. We have 19 senators signed on to the bill in the, in the Senate, of course, and we have 132 signed on to the um, House bill. What we need is for people at home to tell your congressperson that this is not acceptable. Uh, I think close to 70% of the Democrats have signed on in the House. So we are making progress, but it's slow. We don't need a constitutional amendment. All we need is for this bill to pass through both houses by a majority, doesn't even have to be three-quarters or anything like that, uh, passed by a simple majority and be signed by the President of the United States. That's all we need. I think it's, it's just a but but people don't know they don't emphasize it i just encourage anybody who's listening find out if your representative in the united states house and senate are in support have they co-sponsored it just all you have to do is find out if they have not give them a call write a letter they'll be shocked that you even know what their position is and please encourage them to change the status this is political slavery at its worst. I we think do everything that we're supposed to do as citizens. You serve in the military. We do everything that we are required to do. We don't owe anything to the United States uh, as far as financial. Mm-hmm. As I say, we would be a donor state if we were a state. We just need national support, and we need people to contact their congresspeople. I think they just don't want to uh, make all new flags and have to put on that extra star. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, uh, Anise Jenkins, uh, you recently wrote, the claim that the U.S. is a beacon for democracy will remain a hollow claim until this is rectified. We plan to take our protest to both upcoming conventions in July We ask that the country and the world hear our plight and help us. Uh, A few more folks in this country and around the world have just now heard your plight, Anise. I wish you great luck with it uh, because it's really an extraordinary situation. And uh, I I hope to stay in touch with you in the in the months and uh, maybe even years ahead. Check out Anise Jenkins and her organization at FreeDC.org and on the Twitters at MS. Free DC. Anise Jenkins with Stand Up for Democracy in DC. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Free DC statehood now. Well done. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. 
Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. May 23rd, 2014, a 22-year-old community college student killed six people and wounded 13 in shooting and stabbing attacks in the area near the University of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, No uh, ISIS involved. 21-year-old white supremacist shot and killed nine African-American church members during a Bible study group inside the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina on June 17, 2015. No ISIS involved. October 1, 2015, a shooting at Umpqua College in Roseburg, Oregon, left 10 people dead and seven wounded. No ISIS involved. Uh, on and on and on. Yes, that's right. I've been reading th- that list in my head the whole time during my interview with Anise Jenkins and everything else. Uh, w- one killing after another, after another, after another. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the previous uh, deadliest mass shooting in the U.S. was back in 2007 at Virginia Tech. Student killed 32 people before killing himself. Also had nothing to do with ISIS. I don't even think ISIS existed at the time. Imagine that. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman with you here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, trying not to be distracted. Don't take the bait, Democrats. Don't or as take they say the in Star Wars, it's a trap. Yeah, it is a trap. It is a trap. And you start talking about that stuff instead of talking about ways to solve the problem. Got somebody uh, who was uh, responding back to uh, our our show, our program posted on uh, Facebook yesterday at the Brad blog saying, hey, if you if you banned uh, AR-15s, they'd find another way to do it. They would use a knife or a gun or a hammer or a baseball bat. Yeah. okay. well, I guess you could, uh, you know, wound uh, more than 100 people with a baseball bat and a hammer in a crowded nightclub. Really? Don't get distracted, Democrats. Don't fall for it. Too late. They always fall for it. So now we're going to have this debate about ISIS and everything else. Well, I have to say that I am glad that President Obama finally addressed this 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 stupid meme that the Republicans and the right wingers have been using about, oh, he won't say the words as if saying the magic words will somehow be a strategy. The words radical Islam. Right. And so I'm glad that he finally addressed that. I'm glad that Hillary Clinton and her speech finally addressed that. I wish they would have done it earlier so we could not have to deal with this. Guess what? They did. Obama has already spoken, to, uh, and I'm sure we could go back into our audio files. Uh, this was uh, many months ago, sometime last year. He already spoke about it. That's the point. It doesn't matter if he speaks to it. They're still going to pretend that he hasn't spoken to it. And, of course, Donald Trump will insinuate this is because he is sympathetic to ISIS. Uh, but they're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter. 
So, uh, yeah. Uh, there was yeah. a but after that. I'm glad he did it again. Okay. Okay. But the but. fact that, that you are, I think, absolutely right that he is, uh, Trump is succeeding in distracting everyone. That's what he does. That's what he's good That's at. That's what he does. And we expect the media to fall for it. But uh, frankly, the candidates shouldn't fall for it. Hillary Clinton should not fall for it. She did. Um, anyway, uh, Donald Trump, uh, here's just real quick before we get out here. I got one quick item uh, that I had been trying to get to since last week. And yes, by the way, we are still keeping our eyes on the, uh, the vote tallying that is still going on out here in California, where hundreds of thousands of ballots are still uncounted. Vote by mail ballots, provisional ballots, those are still going to take a lot of time uh, to be confirmed and then tallied. So we're, we're keeping our eye on that. Um, but following, uh, this was after last week's election, this story came out. Since becoming the presumptive GOP nominee, Donald Trump has almost entirely ignored the down ticket races in his party. But he did go out of his way to support uh, Congresswoman Renee Elmers, a Tea Party Republican running for re-election in North Carolina's second district. Trump made robocalls for Elmers, uh, and she touted his endorsement in emails to her supporters. They actually had an election, uh, a primary election in North Carolina last week, but it didn't involve the presidency, so uh, we didn't get to talk about it. But uh, early Tuesday evening, it turned out that Elmers reportedly lost her primary despite that uh, endorsement from Donald Trump. She lost it to George Holdings, a another Tea Party backed congressional representative who, thanks to gerrymandering in North Carolina, says Think Progress was drawn into the same district as Elmer's. That redistricting plan is being challenged in court right now. In any event, Elmer's recently became a target of the far right of the Republican Party by opposing a bill that would have outlawed all abortions after 20 weeks, with only a few narrow exceptions for rape victims. After she withdrew her support for the bill, abortion opponents picketed her office. Subsequently, Donald Trump endorsed her, but uh, an endorsement from Donald Trump, the presumptive nominee for uh, Republican nominee for president of the United States, apparently was not enough. That does not bode well for Donald Trump's coattails. This is the first uh, coattail he's uh, he's put out, I guess, by endorsing Elmer's and she lost. She is also the first congresswoman, uh, Republican congresswoman to lose this year. The first incumbent Republican uh, to lose in a primary this year at all for all the sturm and drong about how voters are angry and how they want to get rid of, uh, you know, the incumbents and they want outsiders. Well, they keep uh, voting for those incumbents anyway. And the outsiders have not won this year, at least not at the uh, congressional or state level, at least not so far. Our saga continues. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to Anise Jenkins of FreeDC.org, and to you, the listener, for spending a portion of your day or night with me. I greatly appreciate it, as well as those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com donate to help us continue doing what it is we do here. Uh, you can uh, drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com or find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters where I am simply the Brad Blog. All right, uh, results out of DC's primary tomorrow and much more in our next thrilling episode. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.